Welcome Hello. back. Damn it, Serum. Now I got to start my welcome back over. Welcome Jesus back Christ. to the, 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 the worst produced podcast in, in MMA. This is the Fight Site MMA podcast. Uh, I am the host, Dan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, Serum. And today we are joined once again by our good friend and colleague, Julian Long. Julian, how are hello, you? Hello, hello. We got lucky uh, this last weekend because we expected the event UFC uh, 251 to be a bummer. And it wasn't nearly as much of a bummer as I think we thought it was going to be. Uh, and that's very cool. There were two two of the, the main fights that we're going to talk about today. I think everyone was thinking about probably the two best fights on the card. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway 2. And... Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo for the Bantamweight title. Both were absolutely terrific. Um, a little sad in parts, but we'll touch on that later. Uh, we'll discuss a little bit about uh, Kamara Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. As I said, I don't think there's a whole ton to really mine into there. And we are going to give a sneak, a little bit of a preview to the following fights coming up this week, one of which is actually tomorrow when we're recording this, uh, Calvin Cater versus Dan Ige, and then one that's on Saturday, which is uh, Davis and Figueredo versus Joseph Benavidez 2. A lot of rematches, a lot of strange bookings, but as we saw this last weekend, sometimes it actually works out. Um, so a bit of a packed schedule, but we're going to try to get to all of it today, but First and foremost, we are here to talk about the recent pay-per-view. Um, and like I said, one that surprised a lot of us, given Serum, how uh, pessimistic Hacks was on our last podcast um, with his slogan, Thanks, COVID, I hate it. Uh, I tweeted at him after the, the fight was over. I was like, Thank, you know what, COVID? I didn't, I didn't hate it this time. I didn't hate it. Uh, so... Before we jump into the two fights that we're kind of most excited to talk about, we should spare a little bit of discussion on the main event. Kamaru Usman defending his title against Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal showing up on, you know, like a week's notice to get there. Bit of a, uh, you know, bit of a routine title defense for Kamaru Usman. Julian, what were your takeaways here? I mean, I thought it was pretty much what we all thought, that Masvidal is going to come in. He's going to come in probably a little bit out of shape. He's probably going to be able to somewhat stall against Usman and he just kind of did but we all figured that Usman is like defensively smart enough and he just is he's just not uh you know Covington where he's just going to take some shots to give some shots Usman is defensively sound enough to sort of let some shots roll off on his shoulders and he's just going to shoot in and just sort of just mess up Jorge in the clinch and that's just kind of what happened like it's another Kamara Usman fight where his opponent doesn't just give him the finish and he just kind of just grinds out another decision yeah, I mean, I think it's one thing that I think we mentioned before the fight with, if you look at a fight like RDA Usman, which is that holding Usman off generally isn't enough to win the fight because he's A, good enough, and B, just absolutely dogged enough that you can't really beat him where he's good. So someone like Leon Edwards is probably running into that same problem, but Masvidal, he was very good in the clinch. He was very good as a wrestler. That's something that Ed can probably touch more on. I think he's writing something about this. But he was very good as a wrestler in general. It's just that he got stuck in a place where Usman could do his work, even if it isn't optimal. So, like, he was stuck in the clinch and eating those little body shots. It was just, it was a consistent 
and attritive performance from Kamara Usman that it wasn't necessarily exciting, but it was impressive in that eventually Usman just did what he wanted to do. And that's hard against someone like Masvidal because Masvidal is genuinely very good. But Usman, he's, he's hard to beat in the most annoying way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I think we all saw what was going to happen. We all expected Usman to do what he did. But I think it just kind of surprised all of us that, like, Kamara Usman doesn't take body kicks very well. And that's just, like, the, the biggest thing I took away from that. And, like, he genuinely struggled to sort of, like, realize what was going to happen when, when Masvidal just ran at him. And, like, I don't know how far that's going to take him. Probably not, just because no one's going to really charge Kamaru Usman very often unless you're Colby Covington or Jorge Masvidal. And I think that's... You can sort of catch Usman out cold. But in terms of the first round, I just think that Usman did the right thing. He sort of just felt his way around. And just, like you said, Shriram, he just... It was just an attritive performance. And, you know, hats off to Usman just to do what he, what he wanted to do. I, I want to give some shine to this because I don't know how much we've we've really talked about it, but it's worth discussing, is Kamara Usman gets compared to Khabib a lot as a fighter. And I think in, in broad strokes, I, I understand why. Um, I think that we need to give a little bit of shine to Usman as a structured fighter um, because I think he's pretty pretty underappreciated in his structure. I think he's his footwork is, you know, he, he does a really good job with his footwork in terms of pressuring, cutting off the cage. Recently, he's done a much better job of attacking the body. And I've mentioned like little sort of interstitial moments, whether it's little clinch tie-ups. He'll just sneak one body shot in there. When guys throw at him, he tries to, to throw back with something, whether, you know, usually it is kind of like a long straight right to the body. Um, he's still not the most uh, comfortable or, you know, fluid or deep striker in the division, but he's, he's clearly getting a system and he's, he's comfortable under fire. He's definitely improved out of sight in that area for a guy who kind of got, you know, he kind of shit his pants when Emil Weber mech started throwing back at him. Um, and he sort of just kind of had to sell out with his wrestling. Um, I like how Usman is Usman attacks in transitions. I'm sure we'll talk about this more later with Volkanovsky. So even if he can't get a takedown, he'll kind of give it up and try to land a punch on the way up. Um, he's very active in all these areas. It's like I said, it's it's subtle, but he is has genuinely learned to work in very you know in both broad strategic senses. Like I need to push my opponents back and wrestle them along the fence. Like that is that is who he is. I want to applaud Usman for building you know, a kind of structured game in a lot of the smaller areas. If he can't get that A game rolling, he's actually able to threaten a lot of different, a lot of different pieces at the same time. And that was kind of what was, what was really interesting here was how much Masvidal was, was stifled, right? Because, you know, I think you pointed out, Julian, that charging Usman might be a way to catch him out cold, but the risk in charging Usman is that you can also you can also wind up just getting intercepted. Um, he can grab a hold of you when you try to do that. You know, he'll again, and if you try to break him quickly, he'll try to throw he'll try to throw a body shot or two in there to to just deposit into the bank, you know, for later in the fight when you're exhausted. Um, 
It felt like Masvidal's biggest chance was to kind of draw Usman out early and then crack him with something big. Uh, but, you know, as we saw, that's generally kind of hard to do. Um, and I think I really do want to applaud. I think a lot of that comes back to, to Usman's system as a fighter. Uh, and I don't know how much praise he gets for that, but it's it's a it's a worthwhile one and probably one that means he's going to signals he's likely to be a pretty long term champ at 170. Sir, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the way that you look at it with the Khabib comparison is in comparison to Khabib's fight against uh, Gleason Tebow. Because, I mean, that was quite a long time ago, and I'm not sure it applies to the current crop of contenders he's facing. But you have to look at how when Khabib was kind of stalled out in the clinch by a very strong grip fighter like Gleason Tebow, uh, he kind of just didn't do much. And that's the kind of thing where you're not going to see that with Kamara Usman because we actually just saw it with Jorge Masvidal which is Masvidal looked like a very good wrestler. He couldn't really get a ton going on top all of the time. And even when, like, for example, the first sequence with the front headlock, Masvidal just fought grips and got out. And against the fence, Masvidal just controlled his wrist like a motherfucker and just didn't let go. And in those spaces, Usman wasn't, like, baffled. Usman didn't, you know, stick to trying to get to the body lock. and Like, you know, go, 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 do my thing. He adapted and he just started digging to the body, racking up points. That's the kind of thing that you don't see a ton from wrestling types and Usman he hasn't transcended that archetype certainly but he's made ways to make it work against guys who can't necessarily just be manhandled so that's very impressive to me I think Leon Edwards is a compelling fight but not necessarily a particularly close one as much as I hate to say it because I love Leon but he's just not the kind to like deny the clinch if anything's gonna welcome it so moving forward I'm not sure who does what to Kamaru Usman uh, and if he keeps improving it's a very scary proposition to me yeah I think Going off of what Danny said, the structure thing, I think going to Whitman did kind of help Usman. This might be a Whitmanism, but like a lot of his fighters tend to like, if they know they're going to be exchanging after a shot, they tend to overthrow their punches. Like Gagey does this a lot. Rose does this, right? After a big right hand, they tend to just fall off the right hand and just sort of duck to their left. And we kind of saw that with Usman. Like when he felt like he was going to be in exchange, he would just overthrow his right hand and kind of duck into a clinch or like a takedown opportunity. And I think that's just sort of something that we're seeing in Usman where he's becoming more aware that if he just keeps limiting exchanges, he's just going to get takedowns over and over again, or he's just going to get clinch exchanges, which he just always wins. But I think in terms of his hardest competition, it's it's probably just Leon. But even then, like you said, I don't think Leon will be really successful unless he sh- he shows us something that we haven't seen before. I mean, he's gotten better as a clinch fighter, but in terms of, like, wrestling, we haven't quite seen him tested yet. I think that is kind of the, the way it seems, isn't it? Like, Leon's Leon's great, but he does have a tendency to forego a bit of cage craft on the back foot. Uh, he can be pushed back. I mean, he's he's comfortable there. Uh, don't think he's going to be quite so comfortable there with Kamara Usman grabbing a hold of him. Um and again, it, it seems one of the things that I really do want to applaud with Kamara Usman and why I think he is the best welterweight that we've seen since George is because Usman has built a very smart game for dealing with this division. Like, you know, pushing someone back to the fence and wrestling them is a fine game for what it is. Uh, he has now branched that with, you know, improve. He branched that first with like an improved uh, kind of clinch offense. And then, you know, then he improved his footwork and, you know, his combination punching. And now I said he sort of started to work in these interstitial exchanges. What I'm getting at is 
it is very difficult to build a a structured game to combat Usman. Like, you know, I think Usman, even more than a fighter like Khabib, is someone that there's only a handful of people that I'd really pick confidently over Usman, given the style that he has. And I'm not sure that any of them are welterweights. You know, you'd need like a you need like a Robert Whitaker or like a Jose Aldo type defensive wrestler and backfoot fighter to to actually stifle Usman. You need someone who's extremely voracious in either framing out of the clinch or or someone who can beat him there, which as Julian said is also kind of unlikely. So probably just stifling him. And that is that like you kind of have to build structures to get yourself in these positions to take advantage of that. And Usman is just really, really good at denying it. Serum, do you have one more thing? Because I, I don't have a whole lot left on this one. It was pretty just kind of a a seminal performance from Kamara Usman, I guess you'd say. You could go back to the Khabib uh, comparison once again, because I think one thing that people look at a lot with that is Khabib's top game versus Usman's top game. Like people are like, oh, yeah, Usman neutralizes, Khabib dominates is one thing that I've seen quite a bit. And I think that kind of misses the point, because if you look at a division like lightweight, A, Usman would also dominate it. And B, if you look at what they've done when they've been cut off, Khabib hasn't been in a place to be cut off, but when he has, he's been drastically less effective. So you're looking at someone who, when they get to their place, they're incredibly dominant versus someone who, when he gets to his place, he's marginally less dominant, but he can also work in other phases. And I think the fact that Usman has so many options, like just in terms of takedowns, right? He can do it against the fence. He can do it in the open, as he did to Masvidal. He can like parry kicks, which is one thing that we were very impressed with uh, Usman doing early in the fight against Masvidal, uh, to parry the kick across and shoot the takedown. It's just... It's a type of game where you're not going to have to lose against anyone who's not like specifically designed to beat you. And I think that's just not something, as you mentioned, it's not something that exists at welterweight. It's arguably not something that exists very much in MMA as a whole. Because if you look at anti-wrestlers, it's just that you mentioned the two big ones, Jose Aldo, Robert Whitaker. After that, you've got, I don't even know, there, are, there really aren't many. There's like Abdul Vakabov, I guess, but like not really. So it's tough to find someone. And that's pretty much exactly what you need. Usman, he might not be super long for the elite because of his knees and stuff, but he is early in his career. So there's some stuff to look forward to with him. And he also just, to add one last thing, he also just isn't really taking a lot of damage fighting this way. I'm sure the Colby fight was the most damage he's taken probably in his entire career. And that was still Colby Covington throwing punches at him. Like, it's, it's pretty risk averse in a lot of ways so yeah i like i said i'm i'm still excited to see what he does next he'll always be an interesting one to see if fighters can figure him out um not the most exciting fight but i think we've kind of run that one dry so moving on to the co-main which is really kind of i'm sure what we're here for uh volkanovsky defeats holloway again kind of by split decision uh in my pick for the fight of the year and just one of the most, one of the best and most high-level fights I've seen in a long time. Um, very different, very different approach from Holloway in this fight, and a lot of adjustments made on both sides. I'm gonna kick it to Sverum. Uh Start me at the beginning. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. The theme of the first fight was Volkanovski attacking Holloway's step in with uh, big counter right hands and the left hook, obviously, and 
the leg kicks, which became the dominant narrative of the fight. But one thing that Max did in this fight just broadly was to kind of take that step in away. And that's hard to say because the first time he stepped in, it was like a couple seconds into the fight. He ate that same counter, right? But then he started letting Volkanovski come to him a little bit more. That was early in the fight. And then he started pressuring more uh, consistently and that he wasn't, you know, going in, out, in, out. He was pressuring more consistently, pushing Volkanovski to the fence, stepping in with like knees and counters and stuff. Uh, and I think it was a really interesting against type performance from Max because if you look at what Max used to be, he was not a counter puncher who dropped guys with a single punch. That's like the opposite of what he used to be. So it was not quite an inversion of what we've seen before, but it played out that way. And a lot of that goes that credit goes to Volkanovski because the fact that he managed to pull the fight back from Max Holloway kind of seeming to figure the fight out, kicking with Volkanovski on the outside, running him into uppercuts, which was one of the most important parts of the fight, in my opinion, because Volkanovski, he's, a lot of what he does is he dips in off his jab, and Holloway seemed very prepared for that in the rematch, and uh, the body kicking worked out well to, like, occupy his guard, and the head kick eventually slipped through. It was a very educated performance from Max, but Volkanovski pulled it back. It was very, very smart from both, and I think Max edged it, but at the end of the day, I really can't be angry about Volkanovski taking it because the momentum was on his side by the end. Yeah, I actually think Max, I think Max, you know, showed us a lot of, you know, he sort of went back to what made him really fun and great is that he went back to kicks. And, but what surprised me is like he never threw a southpaw body kick. And this is like a big thing for me that I was hoping that Max would do because, you know, Max showed it against Pettis. He had a beautiful body kick and just kept punting him to the body. And Volkanovski just always leans back. And my issue is that, like, Max just never threw, you know, like a switch left kick or even, like, a southpaw body kick. Like, I know that there was a takedown threat, but that didn't come until, like, the fourth, fifth round. And it just surprised me, I think, that Max, you know, he spent all his time learning to throw really great kicks, but he just never punted to the body with his left kick. You know, and the, and the few times that he did throw, like, a switch kick to the head, you know, Volk, like, barely got his hands up, ready to block it. So, you know, I think it was a really great performance. I think the Aldo fight is my fight of the year. But for Max, I think it's a really good step in the right direction. We're just going to have to see, you know, has the damage sort of piled up? And where is he going to go next? I, yeah, I was incredibly encouraged by this fight from from Holloway's perspective, considering, especially considering where we came in uh, and how low our expectations were. Um, I, like I said, I wasn't sure how much Max was actually capable of adjusting his style because something that I pointed out after the Poirier fight when he fought Edgar and he looked a little shaky, I was like, I don't know how much of this is like Max doesn't want to exchange anymore, but I also don't know if this is, some of this has to do with Max like overcorrecting a mistake, you know, feeling like his problem was defense. He's like, so, okay, I'm defensively minded. I'm not going to initiate as much. I'm going to be a lot more careful. And it ended up, it didn't really play to his strengths. And I didn't know if like that sort of mindset, that sort of conscious mindset was something that was potentially holding him back. Um, and this looked like the fight that he was he had been trying to fight for the last couple performances like you know he was as Cern pointed out he was better at not just leading with the sort of regular step in like he retracted his lead leg better like he would kind of half step faint this time around to draw Volkanovsky out 
um, he didn't overly rely on his jab, which was big because his jab has been his opening strike for almost everything else. It's been like his leading feint. Uh, you know, he'll use it. He'll use his jab in a variety of different ways, but he he had a lot more diversity in his entries here. And that was that was huge. Um, like you guys already talked about the kicking, but like he, you know, he would was more likely to kind of faint with a half step, get Volkanovsky biting. And then instead of throwing like a fainted jab in a right hand, he would just throw the right hand. And so, like, Volkanovsky didn't have it as easy a time seeing it because I think Volkanovsky has learned to train so much of his responses and his, you know, his kicks and so forth off of Holloway's jab that Max not giving that to him was a really wise adjustment. Um, you know, countered better, obviously. The better counterpunching was something that, it again, that's the kind of adjustment and improvement it's hard to expect a fighter to make like you shouldn't you shouldn't when we were going into this fight we couldn't we could probably point out improved counterpunch in fact i think we might have with hacks or eyes serum maybe we did um that like that would be a good thing here but you can't expect a fighter to do that unless you've seen it but max did it here um, he countered, you know, as, uh, as Hiram said, like the Volkanovski's kind of ducking entries. He countered with the uppercut, which is actually a weapon that I pointed out that I thought would be important the first time around. Um, in general, like if I kind of boil it down to a, a broader stroke, Max did a much better job of preventing Volkanovski from getting free shots. And that is like, that was kind of the story of the first fight is that Volk was just able to build up a big lead because he's, you know, with his leg kicks. And again, Volkanovski, credit to him. He was still incredibly diligent and and became increasingly clever with them as the fight went on. Like, I'm not expecting you to get rid of all of them, but he was able to get off a lot of free shots early. And Max just didn't let him do that. And that was, like, really, that was really smart. Um, I really loved seeing Max. He moved his head as, a, as like, a trigger off of the leg kicks. Like, it was really nice. Um, when Volkanovski kind of started that inside stepping leg kick to, like, overhand, which, you you know, we've seen kickboxers throw a lot. Um, it's kind of a city kickboxing thing, too. Like, Max, like, preemptively started moving his head as a trigger off of the inside leg kick, um, which is exactly the kind of proactive defense that he should be using. He should be doing more of that. Like, that was, that was really nice. Um... From Volkanovski's end, I think that one of the things I pointed out in my notes here is that Volkanovski is such a fun fighter to watch because he's so diligent in how he builds. Like, you can see, you can definitely see it in, uh, you know, his his first fight with Max where he's less committal with the leg kicks early and then he sort of opens up with shifting combinations and he, you know, doubles and triples up in combinations, but it all sort of starts from the same base. Uh, and he did, he had to build quicker because Max built up such an early lead this time around. Um, and he started doing that. He started jabbing more. He started drawing Max onto his check hook, which was super nice. Um, I like, yeah, I, I just pretty much almost every exchange had layers and depth to it, uh, and craft that again, I was not expecting to see from both of these guys, um, it was, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. How'd you, feel, Danny, how'd you feel about 
Max's body punching just because, like, I think he threw quite a few jabs to the body, but I just don't really recall him going back to the body. I know Volk is, like, a short dude, but I think that's kind of what I body think. Work. Huh? Yeah, I, I think I'm, I think you, I think you nailed it. Is like, I think it's a height thing. Yeah. Um, going yeah. to the body on a shorter opponent, I don't think he's quite as comfortable doing. Um, like, I'm sure if you gave, if you gave Max Zabit next, I'm sure he would be, he would be a lot more willing to sort of, you know, throw that body jab. He wouldn't have to bend down nearly as far. His right hand, which, you know, his, are usually, his hands usually keeps them around shoulder level. Like he could, he could just throw a right hand to the body without having to really change his posture that much. I think against Volkanovski was a little bit tougher, um, and Volkanovski keeps a longer range before he steps in. And you know, when Max tried to step in late in their first fight, that was when he got countered. So I think, I, I think you're kind of, I think you're kind of on the mark there. I did like the body jab a lot, um, and I also really got to give credit to Volkanovski's body work. I thought that his his long like left hook to the body and then using that as an entry into the clinch uh, is just awesome. Like that is exactly, it's the kind of stuff that RDA does. Um, but if I had to, if I had to guess, I think that's probably why. Yeah. I'm just surprised that like Max, you know, I think in the first round he showed a lot of like stepping in knee, step knees and just, he kept raising his legs. I'm like, okay, this is a Max Holloway where he's going to start throwing a lot of snap kicks to the body and push kicks. Just because, you know, Volkanovski does have the tendency to sort of, like, lean back on some shots and lean back on his kicks. Like, this would be a really great opportunity to see, you know, snap-kicking Volk- snap, snap Max Holloway. But, uh, yeah, I guess sort of Max sort of got stuck in the headhunt later on after, especially since, she, since he sort of dropped Volk in the first two rounds. He probably thought he could probably get away with more headshots. But I would like to see Max go to the body a bit more later on. Uh, I liked some of Max's body kicking in the fight, though, because he couldn't really punch, as you mentioned. Volkanovski being so short made it weird to do. Uh, even though he didn't manage some of it in the first fight, he threw, like, these long right hands to the body. But, I mean, it might have just been that he didn't get much out of it or he didn't have the range right. But this time he did a lot of uh, weird right kicks through the closed side because one thing that the benefit of the southpaw body kick was that it would go right through the open side and occupy the hands. But one thing that Max did very well in this fight was he was able to uh, throw lead leg kicks to the head often, which occupied Volkanovski's hands the way we expected that to. And he was able to slip in some nice right kicks underneath uh, Volk's lead elbow, which worked well. I mean, it didn't really do much to Volkanovski in terms of attrition, but, you know, they scored points. And if it was someone less durable, it probably would have had an effect. But yeah, and he actually was able to draw Volkanovski onto a couple nice knees it wasn't the most body attacking performance for Max, but I think it was just, you know, he didn't have the long flurries at his disposal with that kind of counterpuncher in front of him. So it's understandable. So when Sriram and Hacks and I discussed this fight or previewed this fight last week, um, Hacks had a good point in that he's like, I don't really know if we need to spend a lot of time breaking down the individual exchanges. I think a lot of this fight can be can be covered in the broad strategic sense, which is again, why we were kind of pessimistic about previewing it. Um, now I do think there is a lot of, there were a lot of individual exchanges here, as I you know, mentioned earlier, but if we take a step back, I do want to discuss this fight a little bit in a broader sense because and maybe this is just because I wrote an article about adjustments a week ago. Um, 
but I want to highlight like it is. Ex- I don't think a lot of people understand how difficult it is to make these kinds of adjustments so late into into your career against a seemingly like incredibly difficult style matchup in Volkanovski. Like, I do agree, Julian. I think that Max is probably moving towards a different phase in his career. I think the the guy who, you know, just buzzsawed Brian Ortega with like 12, 13, 14 punch combinations at a time is probably not there anymore. But I think that this was a far more encouraging performance for his later career because it looked like a synthesis of some of the things he was trying in the Edgar fight and the first Volkanovski fight. And he's actually finding a way to synthesize that with his core skill set so it doesn't feel quite so quite so foreign, if that makes sense. Um, like that is what I mean about like the, the counterpunching and like the he went he had to go back and kind of dig further into his skill set with some stuff that seemingly got pared down, like the kicking. Um his his feints, as we said, his entries, he learned to diversify them a lot more. Um, he was more aware of the threats that Volkanovski offered. Like, even if you don't score this fight for him, and it's perfectly fine if you don't. But I do want to highlight how how difficult it is to to make those kinds of effective adjustments against a fighter like Volkanovski, who is always willing to adjust with you as well. Like that was the thing that really kind of hammered it home for me it was like the fifth round was a really clear one for for volk um you know you can you can debate the you can debate three and four but like you know the fifth one was was a really strong round for volkanovsky and that was where his transitional work really got going it seemed like max's he did seem as phil mckenzie pointed out he kind of ran out of ideas in dealing with the leg kicks it started building up a bit more um but like against an incredibly disciplined adjuster to actively try to make adjustments, um, you know, in a first fight that felt pretty, pretty thorough in terms of how Volkanovsky beat him. Like that's remarkable. And that is, that is so that, that is great. Like it is great to see because you almost never see it. Um, I did point out, I don't know if it was in this one or another preview that we've done a while back for him, but I know we've, we've talked about this before when you have a fight that between two fighters that seems pretty one-sided, you know, usually a title fight of some kind and they want an immediate rematch. The one thing that you can say for the guy, you know, the guy who lost is that if you approach a fight so categorically badly, it does open up a lot of possibilities in a rematch just because it kind of tells you everything that you can't do. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to a rematch, your options in terms of improving are massive. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should favor the losing fighter. That's always a, that's a risky game. You know, we understand why. But it does mean that there are there are chances like when you when you approach a fight wrong and it proves to be wrong, you can make or you can at least expect that there are, you know, a lot of possibilities of things you could do in the future. But like I said, I wrote an article on why that's difficult and why that's unlikely. So to actually see it in action uh, was really remarkable. Like it was a, this was a phenomenal fight from both guys. Um, And I think we, 
we just have to give a ton of credit in terms of like the depth and craft that they they offered and um yeah it was just it was so it was just so completely not what i expected so yeah i mean i think the thing about the counterpunching especially is that it isn't just a adjustment in terms of like knowing what to do because i think that's the kind of thing we expected from max if he adjusted at all because like before the fight you know there was all he's training over zoom and he's saying well because a point fighter this isn't going to go well because clearly he thinks he can just do what he did the first time and it'll work but he didn't just figure out what he has to do within his existing game he kind of sharpened up some things that he usually doesn't do at all because as a counterpuncher, Max really hasn't been a ton. He has a counter jab that he showed against Frankie Edgar and, uh, and Volkanovski the first time. He has a check hook. But stuff like counter uppercuts isn't really stuff that Max did a ton. He did some against Frankie Edgar, but he had such a margin there. It's just it's not really a part of Max's skill set that you would have expected to be adjustable in that sort of context to that extent. So if you look at something like you know Volkanovski coming in, doing his thing, it's like, oh yeah, Max isn't going to counter me. He's probably just going to drop back. And Max just threw him off completely. And that's something that you really don't expect. One, just in general, because that's just not something that fighters do in the sport very much. And two, in the stage of the career that Max is in, because this isn't really, Max isn't a fresh face. He's, he's young for uh, an absolute legend, the greatest of all time contender. But he's been in the game for a while. And this isn't the point where you expect him to make massive strides to start like countering jabs with right hands more frequently or like figuring out how to counter Volkanovski's jab with the uppercut. It, it actually parallels a lot of what I think about Volkanovski did in the first fight because Max kind of figured out a few specific situations and hammered it so that he wouldn't need a ton of depth as a counterpuncher to make it work, which is just another credit to him as an adaptable fighter because he figured out exactly where Volkanovski was vulnerable so that he could apply that skill set even if it isn't the best for him. I really have nothing bad to say about both guys. I think Max kind of destroys anyone he uh, faces next time. Same with Volkanovski. I don't know if there are compelling options for him other than Max. Uh, but, you know, obviously I don't really want a third fight right now. I feel much better about it than I did about the rematch, but it's not really the kind of thing where I want Max to go on like a three-loss skid to the same person. That would suck a lot. So uh, do like Max Zabit, as you mentioned, Max Yair Rodriguez, something like that. Uh, give Kareem Zombie to Volk. And then some cool fights in the featherweight division, but those two seem like they're in a tier of their own. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I co-sign with all that. Um, like I said, for me, it's, it's, it's my fight of the year. And as Julian pointed out, if it's not that one, it probably is going to be either Jan Aldo, which we're going to talk about in a second. Um, but yeah, this was, this was incredibly incredibly encouraging and uh i i wish people would shut up about the scoring because like it was a close fight right like i don't i don't really have an issue with it you know if, if there's one thing it would have been nice to see max get it just because it would have ensured a third third fight and i don't know if that's entirely insured but like it was a close fight get over it um all right moving on to fight number three this is where it gets kind of sad uh particularly the stoppage, which we could talk about in a bit. Um, but this was also remarkable in its own way. Uh, I'm going to send it to Julian. Peter Jan beats Jose Aldo by fifth round TKO, but Aldo giving Jan the fight of his life, how did it happen? Well, first off, I think this is probably one of the better outcomes we can see from Jose Aldo, just because... He didn't look absolutely shot against Jan. 
And he, you know, he went back to the low kicks, which was something that we were all hoping he would go back to, but we just never saw him go back to it for a really long time. So it was just a re- really encouraging performance from Aldo, but it was just incredibly sad given that he was fighting at a weight class he should never be in. Um, this is mostly a fight that, you know, like I would call a gunslinger fight. It was sort of like two guys just standing right in front of each other and just sort of just baiting each other, having a game of chicken to see who would go first and or, or who would just bite on the biggest feint. And a lot of times it was just Aldo biting on feints because Aldo, you know, Aldo's quite trigger happy. And Aldo is, you know, like you said, Danny, he's often just a coil of energy. And Aldo just always wants to explode on somebody. And in the beginning, we could see that that was really working against Jan. Jan was feeling the power. The low kicks were working. And But over time, Aldo's, I guess, impatience started wearing out because his cardio was starting to go. You know, he had been hurt in the first round. And we just started seeing Aldo slowly unravel a little bit. You know, the shots in third and fourth round, I felt like they were more like, fuck you, get off of me rounds. Then there were actual punches that were trying to hurt Volk. And I know I said this to you guys earlier. Um, hurt Volk? Volk. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Jan. I had to right, call that just... out because someone else was going to if I didn't. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I think we said this earlier that uh, Aldo has, you know, kind of poor technique. I wouldn't say it's like the app, like absolutely the worst technique, but it's technique that comes from years of not bending your knees very much. And you can see it when he throws body shots. He always falls onto one foot. You know, when he throws hooks, everything, he just kind of like hops into his hooks and not so much like drives power with his knees and his hips into the punch. And that was really obvious because he started just exhausting himself, punching on Jan's guard. And I know you guys are going to talk about Jan's guard later on. So I'm just, I guess I'm going to, the only thing I want to say is that this is a really promising performance from somebody that was, you know, for all intents and purposes, supposed to be sent to slaughter against Jan. And I think we should all just sort of recognize that, you know, Olo can still have a good fight here and there, but he's just not going to be, you know, the same Aldo that, you know, is going to win the title and hold on to it for like eight something years anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think even more than Volk Max in terms of like obvious adaptations, this was one of those fights because I think it was really a story of how Aldo had to navigate because I don't think Aldo wasn't shot in this fight. He looked very shot to me in a lot of ways, but it's a massive credit to him that he managed to still make a fight of it. And a lot of that was the adaptation he made after round one. Yen, he was able to, because Yen's first rounds, they're never like, you know, they're never the, the really aggressive rounds that we have come to expect from them later. They're filling out rounds and he does that very well. But even there, Jan found a lot of offense and I think he could have 10-8'd him there because Aldo got hit hard and then he nearly got finished on the ground. And then Aldo started realizing, hey, I can't box with this guy because I just don't have the reaction time. So he started kicking him on the outside. He started uh, landing big left hook flurries to the body. And it was a very courageous performance from him, but also a very smart one. He kicked him out of orthodox into southpaw and started kicking the crap out of his body there. But Jan, as we've come to know from him, from like the Jimmy Rivera fight, for instance, a hard fight isn't necessarily a death knell for Jan's chances at winning, and especially when Aldo was going to fade down the stretch anyway. But, you know, to, to Jan's credit, he did a lot of very smart things to make sure that happened. He started, for example, when Aldo started pivoting out, Jan just turned around and followed him out of it. It was one thing that uh, Aldo couldn't really keep Jan off of him, uh, even after pivoting. He did a lot of uh, jabbing from southpaw, Jan... 
once Aldo started tiring and tried to tie up with him, uh, it was kind of done because being in the clinch with Jan is uh, awful for anyone, especially when you're Aldo who got latched up by Marlon Moraes. But it was a very courageous performance from Aldo for against a guy who I don't think anyone puts this kind of fight up against Jan for a long time. Jimmy Rivera kind of did, but it wasn't this kind of fight. Uh, and if you put him against someone like Marlon Moraes, I think he might just get drowned in the clinch. Aljo might beat him, but on the feet, I don't know if anyone else can deal with Peter Jan the way Jose Aldo did, especially with the physical limitations he was dealing with. It was a it was a great fight from Aldo, but more importantly, it was a fight that showed how great he was. Um, so I want to uh, not to make this a semantics issue, but I do kind of want to address it because I think it's worth talking about. Um, we say the word "shot," and when we usually say it, it generally means like. You know, physically slower, you know, maybe the durability is gone, the speed may be eroding, and they're just they're just not the same physical fighter, and that means they are unable to be the same fighter that they were. But when we say it, we usually say it in a fighter who we expect absolutely nothing from. Um Aldo has declined. Like I'm not I am not arguing that he isn't, you know, I don't think he's the same physical fighter that he was against Chad Mendez at, you know, UFC 179. I don't think he's even the same technical fighter that he was against Max Holloway at UFC 218. I think he has declined. However, um, he did not look like washed in the way that I expect. And there's one key thing. This was Aldo's highest pace fight ever, which I had a hard time believing until I saw it, this was his highest pace fight ever. He had never had a fight where he threw more strikes than this one. Against Peter Jan, who is, in his own right, a, a pace machine. Like, the guy is just a... He is just a chainsaw. So, I was, like, I was stunned to see that. And it made me rethink, like, okay, yes, I realize all those declined, but... I also want to highlight, like, I don't think there are many fighters, as Serum said, who could have put up the same fight against Peter Jan. I do not think there are a lot of fighters that could have withstood this version of Aldo at Bantamweight, which I never, ever thought I'd be saying out loud. But, like, he was hitting, he was hitting Jan with body shots that we've seen drop featherweights. Like, it's... <laughs> I, I was I was amazed... Um, and Jan, you know, to his credit, Jan figured out like around, you know, sort of late in the third round, which I still scored for Aldo. Like I need to start extending exchanges more, punching past the point where Aldo's comfortable. Cause Aldo, Aldo's generally used to in exchanges, he tends to scare guys off. Like he'll throw and then that kind of ends the exchange because he hits so much harder and he's just so much faster. He can respond to them in real time. Um, and it was kind of, you know, Max was a guy who just wasn't, he just was never scared in exchanges. He kept initiating. He kept forcing Aldo to respond past the point where Aldo was comfortable. And he started extend, extending exchanges beyond that when Aldo slowed down. And Jan came to the same idea. But I think Jan also realized how dangerous Aldo was in the early going. And that's why he was so cautious. Like, that's why he led with so many feints. Um, I think they actually both had periods where they were kind of feigning each other out. Jan uh, was actually able to feign out some of all those coiled punches. 
Aldo managed to feign out some of Jan's kicks and then, you know, counter him. Like, I just, I really want to emphasize the takeaway is not, as, you know, as our friend Iggy pointed out on Twitter, the takeaway is not that, like, the game has passed Aldo by or that he's, you know, because he, that didn't, this didn't look like a fight from, like, Aldo didn't exactly look like a relic here. The takeaway is also not Peter Jan is an overrated mess because he had to deal with Jose Aldo who everyone expected to be finished. Um, I think that there's a middle ground there. This again, there are there are still some issues with with Peter Jan. He has a bit of a, a Gaethje problem. Well, I don't even know if it's a problem that Gaethje has anymore, but the kind of the kind of ducking high guard it can tend to just be a shell. Um, he looks to he looks to slip and catch and pitch, but it's not. It's not as frequent as it sometimes needs to be. Aldo's jab and sort of long right hand did needle down the center a fair bit, which was wise. But I, like, again, you sort of have to look at how Jan overcame that. Because I don't think it was, it wasn't just, it wasn't just Aldo slowing down is the thing that I'm trying to say. Like, it wasn't just Aldo hitting a point and then no longer throwing strikes. He kept throwing past the point of being just bloody exhausted. And Jan, you know, Jan continually had to keep, he was like, if I need to win, I need to to push this guy past the breaking point. I need to get him to the point where he's throwing strikes, you know, just plain exhausted and I can keep this pace and he cannot. And he found his way there. You know, he, he worked the body. His body punching was beautiful. They're actually both of their body punching was beautiful in this fight. But it was, you know, his long combinations from, like, down the center were excellent. It was always a question of pace, but we need to acknowledge how difficult it is to push this sort of pace on Aldo. Our friend Simon pointed out, like, this fight definitely proves that what Max Holloway did to Jose Aldo, you know, he was probably sitting watching this fight, like, yeah, it's not so easy, is it? You know, like, not everybody who fights at a high pace can expect to do this. Uh... Do we want to talk a little bit about Aldo trying out a more Thai-inspired style? <laughs> Julian, you were talking about this a little bit live, and I was, I was seeing it, and I was like, I, but I almost couldn't believe it. I'm like, is he trying to, is he trying to be more of like a, a Thai stylist in the second round? What do you think? Yeah, I, I actually got this like as a, I got to like talk about it a lot on Twitter because somebody was being kind of reductivist. I think he made like a list of. Uh, you know, like nine, like I think it was like half of the top fifteen that would beat Jan, just because you know he deduced that it was just Aldo throwing right hands and low kicks. That's all you need to beat Jan, and that's just really not the case. And I think Aldo's you know stance change was kind of actually brilliant because he figured that Jan wasn't going to take him down because Aldo just has you know the best hips in the world. He's just going to get out even if he is you know one thirty five Aldo. And he sort of figured that if Jan is going to keep trying to kick my body, I need to just block, defend my body. Jan is going to kick my legs out because I have better leg kicks than me than Jan. So Aldo started just using like a cross body check with his lead leg, which is something that we never see in MMA. And that's because if you do that, you're going to get swept, right? Like Max Holloway does this really well. He just like he lets guys throw kicks at him, and he'll just run in and sweep you. And Jan just couldn't do that because Jan 
was more focused on, you know, defending his head, defending his liver, and, you know, blocking the low kicks. And that just sort of worked really well from Aldo. But, you know, like we like we said earlier, you know, once Aldo started adding pivots to it, Jan was starting to figure it out. But it was just a really cool thing that we never expected that anybody in MMA could do, which was sort of like horse trot on the spot and then sort of check kicks with your lead leg. You know, it, it's something that we're just not going to see very often unless, you know, we have like another super great takedown defender like Aldo that just doesn't get taken down no matter what. I don't think we're going to see, you know, lead leg checking very often. Yeah, just the pivot generally, even without the stance, just the pivot to kicking Yen on the outside is pretty brilliant. Uh, he, as I mentioned at the beginning, Aldo's defense looked pretty atrophied, especially just on that first strike. Because a lot of what Yan could do was just like reach in from the outside. Even when he wasn't really building on anything in the first round, he could just reach in from the outside and hit Aldo fairly cleanly. So it was like Aldo can't really respond in the pocket to those shots anymore. So he just started kicking Yan from the outside, taking his mobility away, uh, kicking his body once he switched to southpaw. And hitting his body uh, from the outside in like these longer flurries that just uh, as Yan was shelled up. But Yan, eventually, he found a way to make those longer pocket exchanges anyway, which is the biggest credit to him, in my opinion, because a lot of times, guys can't really enforce a cardio advantage against Aldo. That was like, you know, even in his prime, you were like, Aldo takes rounds off. How will he deal with Frankie Edgar just being there for five rounds? And it turned out pretty well, like, both times. So Yan being able to, like, you know, counter the body shots with left hooks and, like, turn that into long combinations and uh, clinch his life away late in the fight— it was incredible considering how much of a pivot Aldo made to the kicking game uh, from round two into round three. Because it's it's a really rare sort of fight where you find both guys adapting. And uh, this was, as uh, Danny mentioned in the adjustment article, it was that kind of fight where both guys adapted to the other's adjustment. Yeah, like I think that I think that kind of sums it up. Like I, I think you do have to give a lot of credit to, to Peter Jan. Like I don't... I don't at all think that this was a this was a bad showing from Aldo um, or that like that it was he's just some shot to pieces and Jan is a Jan is an overrated bum for struggling with him. Um, yeah, like this version of Aldo, like, again, I don't when you get a fighter like this at this point in their career, it's hard to trust them to do this a lot of times over, like after this another like brutal five round fight. You know, the highest paced fight he's ever had. I don't know how many more times I can trust Aldo to do that. But I think you have to give Aldo enormous amounts of credit because he, like I said, he was, no one was ever expecting him to get back to a title. A lot of it did come from, you know, kind of some bureaucracy, but whatever. He ended up here and he fought his heart out. Like, I've never. There are few competitors in this sport with the same spirit and will as Jose Aldo. There just are not that many. Um, and to match that with, you know, again, his skill and his ability to adjust, um, even given where his, you know, that some, I think, as you said, Sram, some of his technique is atrophied. Uh, physically, I don't think he's the same fighter, but it's, it's such, such a rare kind of thing that you will you will almost never see a fighter do this this late in his career. Like, yes, it made me sad. Yes, it bummed me out. But at the same time, I think I kind of found myself even more just in awe of 
of Jose Aldo. And just, I don't want people to ever forget what kind of special fighter he is. Um, there's a reason he was on the fight sites number one in, in our top 20 countdown. Like, <laughs> that nothing, nothing that happened in this fight has changed my opinion on that one bit. Um, so I, I would agree. I think that uh, Peter Jan versus Jose Aldo and Volkanovski versus Holloway 2 are instant classics in my book. Um, I love them both, and I'm going to watch them a lot, many times over the next years. Um, and I think there's a ton of stuff to mine, technically and in a you know in a broader sense, just about the sport itself from these fights. And I think we should uh, we should recognize that we were lucky to have seen them. So let's move on to kind of the last segment that we got here, which is some uh, some upcoming previews. Again, I don't think they'll I don't think they'll take too long um but what's we got calvin cater versus dan Ige tomorrow this one seems pretty cut and dry julian what are you thinking uh probably it's probably gonna be like a cater i think cater either takes a decision or he just kind of just knocks out Ige and like over like over time like five rounds probably like the fifth fourth round knockout for cater i just think that you know like Ige. You know, Ige does his thing, but I think Cater just will probably do a bit better on the back foot. I don't know if Ige will go really heavy with the low kicks. He might. But even then, I think just the reach advantage might be an issue for Ige. And I can just see him walking into a counter like Shane did. I don't know. Sharon, what do you think? Yeah, pretty much the same place. I watched a bit of Ige beforehand. And I think I, I really do like Ige for just in a broad developmental sort of sense. Because... When you look at the Arce fight, it wasn't an encouraging one moving forward for Danny Gay, but he turned into something pretty impressive against, like, Mersad Bekdic and against even Edson Barboza. I think he lost that fight pretty clearly, but it was an encouraging performance in terms of, A, toughness, and B, kind of figuring out what he needed to do through the fight when his first plan didn't really work out at all. But that said, I think Cater's pretty much the worst nightmare you could find for him at the weight class. And I'm generally pretty hesitant to say that because when I'm confident in a fight, it never works out that way. And it's bound to make me sad. But I think it's because if you look at Ige, uh, he's not very good on the lead, in my opinion. Like he can jab a bit. But a lot of what he did against Edson Barboza were like these wide winging flurries. And Cater's a, a superb counterpuncher. Uh, the reach advantage, as you mentioned. So if he jabs, he's going to be stuck on the outside. Ige is not much of a um, of a leg kicker. He does it sometimes, but it's not something that he does consistently. And I think he's just completely outgunned. He nearly got knocked out in the first minute in the pocket exchange against Edson Barboza. And Cater's just, he's a legitimate puncher, both in terms of, you know, mechanics and the heaviness of his hands. It's a, it's a really tough matchup. Ige could try to wrestle. I think that could be a solid path to, like, stealing some minutes. But Cater's look very urgent as an anti-wrestler at the very least. He's probably the better athlete here, in my opinion. Uh, so it's... It's a rough fight. Ige, I think his best hope is either the wrestling or just starting really quick and catching Cater cold. But even that hasn't really worked for the guys who have faced Cater in the past. Regardless of like Cater's ceiling at this point, and I think we all kind of disagree on that, I think Ige's not particularly the kind to take advantage of that. Um, yeah. I Ige has been a, an enormous like overperformer. Uh, in the featherweight division, like for a guy who, you know, just kind of showed up and in his first fight got pretty much just kind of worked by uh, Julio Arce and who's never really been that physical a threat. Maybe it's controversial to say that, but I don't really think of him as much of an athlete, to be honest. Um, 
but he's just been one of these guys. He's just kind of he's just kept winning. Um, and I suddenly I look at him and I'm like, oh my god, he's on a six fight winning streak. How the hell did that happen? Um, this does kind of feel like a style nightmare. Like uh, it feels like a lot of the same kinds of stuff that Julio Arce can do. I know Arce is a southpaw, but like um, the same kind of kind of interruptive jab is likely to give him issues. Uh, Ige is pretty crafty, but he's not really a good boxer necessarily. A lot of it is just kind of just his grit. The fact that he'll just kind of, you know, throw in heavier exchanges. He'll keep moving forward. I mean, he's got, he's got unbelievable heart. Like there's no, there's no doubt that Ige is just a, he's just a gritty fighter. Um, but that kind of, Again, that that kind of <laughs> implies that he's also going to get marked up pretty badly early by Calvin Cater. Um, the only thing that I'll say is that, like, it is kind of ironic that Ige took a pretty undeserved decision over Edson Barboza. Because presumably Barboza would be in this position if Ige wasn't, and I would pick Barboza over Calvin Cater without thinking twice. Um, but as it stands, Ige is, does kind of feel like it it just, he just feels like there isn't anything that Calvin Cater hasn't seen in Dan Ige. Um, so I, again, I'm always hesitant to say it's going to be a wash or, you know, like, well, not a wash, but it's going to be a completely one-sided, um, because Cater's made fights that I didn't think were going to be competitive, competitive, and he, like I said, Ige's super tough. And Julian, like you said, he might just hang in there for a while. Um, but yeah, I, there's nothing really technical that I, I can... If you're looking for me to draw a path to victory for Ige, I don't really know what that looks like. Um, Zabit only got one takedown very, very late against Cater. And he kind of he kind of sold out on it. Like, Cater's clearly not easy to out-wrestle. And it doesn't look like Ige has like the kind of back foot kicking... Um, to really disincentivize Cater either. So seems pretty open and shut. Uh, lastly, the fight that does not make any sense to me at all, but nonetheless we're getting, is uh, Davis and Figueredo versus Joseph Benavidez 2. Um, Julian, I saw you frowning earlier when I mentioned this. Why don't you uh, <laughs> tell me what you're, tell me what you're thinking? Because <laughs> I think I know. I think I speak for everyone on the fight site. It's going to be a sad night. Um, I think it was a pretty open yes. and shut ki- open and shut fight the first time they fought, and I think this is just a formality. I don't know, you know, if Joe B can really make any big changes before the fight comes. You know, if this was like a year later or you know a year and a half later, I can see him making some really big stylistic changes that could really change things up. But we saw from the first fight that, you know, Joby knew what kind of threat he was dealing with. And he just kind of, and like, he just kind of walked into it. He didn't really have a choice. He just kind of just walked in. You know, he did pretty well. He was starting to figure some things out. And then Figueredo just decided to just end his life. And he did. You know, I I don't really have much to say because I'm not a, I'm not a, a big, huge Joby stan like everyone else is. But, uh... You know, for me, God bless. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, I think 
it's because before the first fight, I wrote something on uh, the dynamic of the fight. And I think Figueredo fought perfectly in a way that made me look very smart there, but also was just a very smart way to fight in general. Uh, it was that a lot of what Joby does, right? It's very weird mechanically, but it's very, very smart as he moves down a fight. And I think the way that uh, Figueredo fought, it was he forced the mechanics of each encounter to the forefront where he would pressure Joby back. Joby would be forced to come forward rather than like being able to choose when he comes forward, faint in. Uh, Figueredo pressured hard, and he was able to just land a short right-hand counter every time, just cut him off at the pass when he squared up. So Joby essentially punished, or Joby essentially was punished for the way he stepped forward in that fight rather than anything he could like actually adjust, right? Because the way Joby fights, it's a very blitzy sort of style that gets him a lot of undue criticism from some people because he ran onto a headbutt in the fight for one, but like... In general, it just doesn't look particularly safe. But despite all that, Joby's been very, very successful against very, very good fighters. But the fact that he has to shift in a lot of the time means that Figueredo could punish that pretty consistently with that short right hand. And Joby had a lot more trouble than he did against Sergio Pettis of extending those exchanges. Because like he tried to swing back at Figueredo, but Figueredo was big and long. And that first shot just stunned him enough that he couldn't like just eat it and keep going as quickly as he might have wanted to. So I think if Figueredo fights the same way, and he's not like, you know, destroyed by a weight cut or by uh, the COVID thing that happened, like the quarantine and stuff. If he fights the same way, I don't know if Joby will have an answer. Uh, I want to trust Joby and he deserves a title for like his entire career. But it's very hard for me to trust him here against someone like Figueredo, who's young and who clearly knows how to fight him. Yep. Um, this is uh, this is mean. Uh, like this is like you said, this is a really mean piece of matchmaking and formality i wouldn't consider myself like a joe b stan in the traditional sense but i'm i'm a joe b respecter um as i think we all are like we all recognize how difficult it is to be a fighter at this high level for so long and that he's assembled a pretty phenomenal resume over the years like there's we've said it a lot on our site like he's just he is one of the best fighters ever most likely and i'll remember him as as a great fighter who you know maybe doesn't have a belt to his name but uh but this is a really sad kind of postscript because he just feels like he's being fed to the slaughter uh like i love figurato um and i think that as you said sir fig had exactly he had a lot of the right ideas and i think similar to like a sort of classic yoel romero sort of way figurato is a guy who tends to feel his approach out in a fight um which is why even if he starts a little bit slow, uh, he tends to kind of, he never stops being threatening. Um, there are a few weapons that he, you know, he has at his disposal. He was hitting Joe B with body shots that looked like they would have dropped featherweights. It was brutal. Um, and he sort of learns like when and how to pressure, how to herd guys into his punches. Um, it's a... <laughs> It's a strange game because it, you know, it requires a lot of durability to like take the shots that his opponents are giving, and to you know kind of configure a way through that. But um, he played it just about perfectly the first time around, and uh, it's hard to see Joe B figuring out a way around it. Like you know, Julian said, his only way to beat Figueredo is through him, and I don't really know if he has the physicality to do that anymore. So. I think it's going to be kind of a bummer and it does, you know, as much as I like Figueredo and I'd love to see him hold the belt, this does feel like pointless matchmaking. 
Like, I think they could have just as easily given this fight to, like, Alex Perez or uh, Pantoja or, um, I don't know, who else is at the top of the division? Something like that. There's a lot of fun fights with Figueredo. I'm not really sure this is one of them. Um, Seems like it's going to be kind of a bummer. So, anyway. Uh, Moreno's up there, too. Yeah, Moreno, fuck it. It doesn't matter. Like, there's there's a lot of really exciting... Like, I'd be down to watch Figueredo fight just about anybody. And if they really want to move him up to Bantamweight, I would be down to watch Figueredo fight just about anybody. Like, he is he is must-watch MMA. There's no doubt. But um, this fight is this fight is mean. So, anyway, uh, I think that largely wraps up everything I wanted to say. Uh, how are you guys feeling? Bring Kyoji back, you cowards. Yeah. Uh, no, I think we missed an actual really fun fight at Featherweight. I think it's listed as um, Jimmy Rivera versus Cody Steeman at featherweight. At featherweight? Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's listed as one featherweight. Week one week notice. Oh, I didn't even know that was happening. Absolutely. Let's discuss that real quick. And that's like an any, absolute banger, I think. I don't have any notes on that, but we can, yeah, let's talk about it. What are you thinking on that, Julian, since you brought it up? Um, I think it's actually just going to be a really fun fight. Um, Rivera has gr- pretty good takedown defense. I think that, I think this is a fight that Rivera is actually getting kind of a break. He's not fighting some monster pressure fighter that's just going to, like, run at him and just maul him on the fence and isn't just going to, like, play with his feints very much. He is, Cody's a very simplistic fighter and that you know his game plan is probably going to try to take you down. But in his last fight against, um, who was that? Boom Kelleher? Yeah, against Brian Kelleher. You know, Cody Stamen started showing off a jab and I was like, oh, this will probably be a really good banger because I can see Stamen just trying to muscle his way through um, Rivera's jab and his initial attack and then try to fight for takedowns. And I think it's just going to be a really fun scramble fest, especially a featherweight where they're just not going to be cutting that much weight and they're just going to just scramble all the time. Shira? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably going to be mostly a striking battle, but Jimmy Rivera is a fighter that I've appreciated for a long time. I used to think he would be a contender at this point. It's looking a bit less likely, to say the least. But uh, I think he's he's genuinely terrific where he's good. I think there's a lot of comparisons to be made for Calvin Cater uh, with Jimmy Rivera in that, A, they're, prob- they're genuinely incredible on the back foot. They're good jabbers. They're very good combination punchers. They're not the best in dealing with kicks. Uh, and they're not the best in dealing with guys who can just like deny them their range entirely. We saw that with uh, Aljamain Sterling for Jimmy Rivera, and we saw that with uh, Zabit and Moicano for Calvin Cater, where if they're boxers, they want to be boxing, and they're good at enforcing their range, but against someone who's better, they just really, really struggle because they don't have a plan B. So I think Jimmy Rivera, I don't think Cody Stamen's that kind of fighter. I think Stamen, he's either going to take the back foot and try to fight long, and he got crowded a bit by Brian Kelleher, so that's not really super reliable in my opinion, or he's going to try to wrestle Rivera. And Rivera's generally been absolutely terrific in terms of takedown defense. Uh, Aljamain Sterling really couldn't get much done. He was able to hold in the clinch a little bit, but couldn't really get him down. So I think it's a rough fight for Stamen stylistically. I'm just not particularly sure where Rivera is. But Rivera's a joy to watch. I watched the Dodson fight a little bit ago. It was a brilliant fight in terms of how he navigated those margins with a really, really scary puncher. So I think... And the Yan Aldo fight really raised the stock a bit, I would imagine, because Yan looked terrific there. He looked terrific against Rivera, and Rivera looked terrific against him. So I'm going to go with Rivera, but no. I think Rivera is probably going to stay like a hardcore favorite, uh, what could have been type of fighter. 
Yeah, I don't think Stamen has any, like, my general analysis, as I said, I didn't have any notes prepared on this. Apologies. But um, at the base level, it doesn't really seem like Stamen has the dynamism to really threaten uh, Rivera with much. I don't think Stamen is a better clinch fighter or wrestler than Aljamain Sterling, and he certainly doesn't have the same uh, reach and ability to dry, dry, draw guys onto his shots. Um, if he is exchanging more neutral space, Rivera just seems like the cleaner, more polished technician, better idea of how to win rounds, um, more likely to land the shots that are, you know, might discourage Stamen a bit from trying to engage. Seems pretty open and shut. You're right. I don't. I don't really know where Rivera is at. Um, and it could be the type of thing where he just has a, you know, a bad fall at any point. Um, but at the same time, he hasn't ever really looked technically worse, in my opinion. And like I said, Stamen is just. He just doesn't really have any kind of dynamism at all in a division that is built on, you know, it is a extremely dynamic division you've got big hitters you know quick snatching submission threats um it's just a lot of bangers and sluggers like it's it's a violent dynamic division and stamen just doesn't really quite have that um i mean in fairness rivera doesn't really have that but he's also converted that into a more reliable round winning game uh so yeah it just seems like pick the more polished technician that about does it for our show. Uh, thank you, everyone who's listened. Uh, thank you, Julian, for showing up once again. Um, happy to have you on anytime. Uh, before we wrap up, do you guys have any articles that you're working on? Anything that you're trying to get out in the next couple of weeks? What are you thinking? Uh, I'm looking at something on Aldo Yen because it was uh, terrific, but I'm not. I'm not sure of a time frame for that because you know doing it justice is actually pretty hard. So I'm going to try for that, but don't hold me to it, I guess. And the staff pick should be out relatively soon at the time of recording. Julian? Um, I think I got a video coming out on why Aljamain Sterling is greater than John Jones. I think we're just waiting for the copyright yeah. to get through. Um, it's a controversial piece. Um, should definitely watch it. It's probably my longest one I've done to this date. And um, I think in a week or two, I'm going to have uh, Darren Till video coming out too you danny um i like i said i had an adjust mma adjustment metagame piece that went up a week ago um i am i might try to actually revisit this brad riddell article that i've been trying um because i wrote i was thinking about like do i want to do an article on riddell's like high level losses in kickboxing to doom bay and region air cell but i've already written about doom bay and region air cell so i might just write about brad riddell um and what he's done in the ufc so far and you know if he is anything like uh alexander volkanovsky like that his ceiling really could be quite high um i've had another idea for a metagame article on prioritization and training i might have to kind of throw that one around a little bit more but it's i've got an idea for it but, you know, who knows? There may be stuff that I want to write about in the future and in these next couple events. Um, next week, Sperm and I will be back, and we're going to be covering... What is next week? Is it... Uh, is Whitaker that... Whitaker Till. Whitaker Till. Oh, oh boy. Okay, well, uh, that'll be fun. Um, For sure. And in the meantime, uh, please continue to support the Fight Site. Uh, read all our... You can read all our stuff on the website. Check out Hyperfly. We're sponsored now. We got real advertisements. Um, 
look at us. We're we're killing it right now. Uh, I don't really know. I don't know if I have a whole spiel for it. I haven't practiced one, but go support Hyperfly. You can click the link on our website. Scroll all the way down. Um, that just about does it. Thank you guys. Stay safe.